You enter a dark room. In the center of the room is a single bare light bulb illuminating a large wooden table. You see six place settings ready to go, each stocked with character sheets, dice, and of course, snacks. At the head of the table sits a woman in her late 20s with rainbow hair and a podcasting mic in front of her. Roll for initiative. It's time for the season one finale of Replay. Welcome to Replay, the show that invites you to join us at the game table. I'm your host, Clara Mount. On Replay, we are building a more inclusive community by creating a space for underrepresented gamers and their allies to share their voice. We'll tell stories about our experiences and provide new perspectives that challenge our community to think a little differently about who we are and what we do. Replay is a Victor Media Group original. You can find episodes of this and all other Victor Media Group shows on our website at victormediagroup.co. And if you like what you're hearing, subscribe and connect with us on your favorite social media platform. So we're doing something a little different today. Uh, think of today's episode as an anthology of the entire season. So there were too many good chunks of conversation that I had to cut out from previous episodes due to time constraints. And I really wanted to bring some of that back to share with you anyway. So we're actually bringing back outtakes from every single guest that appeared on season one of Replay. Um, so to give a preview of what topics you can expect, we've got some behind the scenes about working on video games, strategies for building diverse communities, some theory around how we define fun, why being trans is actually punk as fuck. That's a fun conversation. Um, what you can learn from GMing tabletop games uh, and a conversation about gamers who have autism. So 99% of this audio is stuff you haven't heard before, and I'm really stoked to bless your ears with some more new ideas about gaming. So let's get started. So first up, we have Anna Stavropoulos, art lead for Madden Mobile over at EA Sports. She holds a master's degree from FIA, the Florida Interactive Entertainment Academy over at the University of Central Florida. Um, and she sits in a really interesting position because she's been a lifelong lover of games, but not only does she now have like adult purchasing power that she can choose to spend on games, she also makes games for a living. Uh, so she's in this really interesting in-between. And here's a piece of the conversation we had about Anna's role as an ambassador for the gaming community. Sure. Um, how do I... I guess, how do I view my relationship with the gaming community? Okay. Um, sure. Uh, I guess how would I describe that? You know, we are of that generation where a lot of us grew up playing video games. You kind of feel like an ambassador for the industry as an adult, now that you have like purchasing power and an adult <laughs> voice to say, I will spend my adult money on these video games. And so I, I really do feel like um, my, my relationship with the gaming community is one that is an endeared one that, you know, I was around when everyone was saying, is art video games? Why certainly, yes, they are. So, so th that doesn't <laughs> I feel like, like that, like that is the type of game fan that I am. Um, yeah. It sounds like you're nostalgic for it in a way, because like you have that whole history kind of. Oh yeah, 
totally like 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 i said um i'm no special snowflake in this regard i'm sure that uh every single person that is listening to this has some form or another of game paraphernalia all around their uh perspective vision cone it is (laughs) of game swag i'm sure um and and yeah and, and you know when you come from a place of love like that you could also end up being uh, one of the harshest critics of games, especially when you play them a lot. I mm-hmm. uh, personally work in them, so I feel like I know how the sausage is made. I know this particular nitpicky thing is a big deal to me. And and sometimes I can, you know, it's, it's kind of like you don't want to shit where you eat a lot. You don't want to ruin the experience for yourself sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's well, that balance. You- <laughs> So since you work in the industry, how do you how do you keep that separated for you? Like, how do you make sure you can still love games? Well, it is trying to understand that when I go to work, there are a lot of unique challenges with the specific type of game I am creating. And for every single game that exists, there is that case for them. You know, they have their Mm -hmm. own business goals, they have their own creative goals, they have their own, etc. So it you can't, you know, feel too judgy on on like, oh, um, I want to, you know, uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to like figure out where, where I'm going with this really like to try, <laughs> trying to keep trying to keep it separate is like trying to say like, okay, yeah, even though I am frustrated at work sometimes with, you know, like, like my my usual um, game making, uh, you know, life. Yeah. And, and then and then to, to, to try not to carry that onto like, you know, when, when you're trying to enjoy your hobby, like, try to keep try to keep it separate, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's probably easier said than done. But yeah. it probably do you play your own games? Yes, my boss that's listening to our <laughs> podcast, I I play it right at 6.01 when I clock off up Perfect. until 9.59 the next morning. I mean, I, I do. I do because I'm an extremely vain individual and I like to see uh, the fruits of our labor sometimes, um, especially working on a game that uh, I get that instantaneous um, feedback from the community because it's live content. Like I'm working on something Monday and then Reddit is bitching about it on Friday. I love it. I want to, I want to hear the, the gut impressions <laughs> of, of people that are, you know, they're, they're passionate about it. And that fuels a lot of uh, opinionated voices. And I, I crave it because I, I want to hear those things from people that don't really care about my feelings, that they just care about the game and they want it to do well and be a fun experience. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I, I want to, I want yeah. to, to sponge it all up and, and start saying, hey team, here's this thing that maybe we haven't even considered. Let's start applying it to the game. So it's almost like, it's almost like they have that, uh, like unfiltered feedback and it's out of like care, right? Like they care about it. So they're going to give you that feedback because they want to yeah. see it happen to make the game better. It's like when I bitch about Destiny 2 problems and bugs and all that shit. It's because it's because I love it and I want to exactly. improve everyone's experience with it. Exactly. <laughs> By bitching you know, silently to the void. <laughs> I'm sure there's only so much criticism that <laughs> that these games could like, like shouting at a troubled teen. You just want them to succeed and do well. Okay. <laughs> know that you have dreams of hitchhiking across the country and using 
using that as currency, but you know what? Here, here are some feedback to maybe not do that and to succeed. So those were some great insights about how Anna separates herself as a gamer um, from herself as a game maker working at EA. And I, I think that those same insights could really be extended to other industries, side hustles, hobbies. Like if you start doing it for money, how do you make sure that you still continue to love it? How do you keep that spark that brought you to that type of work in the first place? So one thing um, that I've learned since starting my own podcast about games is that it's really key to continue talking to other people about what you love and why you love it. Uh, and it really helps keep that spark fresh and keeps you close to your why. Next up, we have Whitney Reisner, who's the board president for Superheroines Etc., also known as She, a nonprofit that's all about using the power of fandom to fight for equality and representation. Uh, and in this in this segment, um, we were having a conversation about how to create a diverse and inclusive gaming community. Um, and one of the things in particular that Superheroines Etc. does to foster this is run these learn to play a game nights. Uh, so Whitney talks about that, and she's also going to talk about a bunch of recommendations for different kinds of games that are not Dungeons and Dragons in that tabletop and board game space. Uh, and it's really important to me to share that so we can signal boost some third parties that are doing fantastic work in the tabletop RPG space. So without further ado, here we go. So my initial thought and, and how I started to create a more diverse and inclusive community is... Um, opening up events, talking about the events that I was running, um, not just showing up at a game store and finding people there, but actually broadcasting to my friends and friends of friends saying, hey, we're getting together to run a teach somebody how to play D&D session this weekend. Um, a really big event that we run with superheroines is learn a game night where we just ask everybody to come come down to a game shop and we have a table of board games and whoever is there starts voting and then we all sit down and we open the game and we learn how to play it together. So that's oh. the very first step. And then the next step was um, introducing diverse games to those players in the community. So diverse storylines, um, indie games, um, local creators of games. We have local RPG writers and board game writers. Um, so we brought them in. And if you introduce, if you create a community and say, hey, we're going to teach you how to come into the community. We're going to run these 101 events. We're going to teach you how to play all these board games if you want. And we're going to keep inviting you in. And then we're going to go away from mainstream and we're going to show you indie games and indie board games and diverse games and diverse stories and bring others into the community that we know are diverse. Um, it kind of fosters not only that sense of community, but that sense of creativity and storytelling. And it just strengthens everybody and it gets people playing more indie games. That's really cool. Are there... Um like when you say diverse games are there certain ones that you like would recommend that people get into just in general so um board games and tabletop rpgs are are my thing and the diverse games that i always say is find the indie games go to kickstarter 
see who's putting up um, RPG books. Um, go to the small publishing houses. Um, Indie Press is a great place that is a great repository because um, they put out a ton of indie games. I think most of mine are from Indie Press are um, um, Age of like the Apocalypse series or uh, Rule Set and Fate, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> and then Drive Through um, Games is another really good repository. Mm -hmm. So go on to Kickstarter and and find those, you know, indie RPG games, find those indie board games. If you go to big conventions, you know, look at the small booths because that's where you're going to find the most amazing games. Um, some of my favorite games have been from those really small indie booths and they're just fantastic. So that's my recommendation. Um, don't just go for D&D. We get that that's like <laughs> the number one game. We get that if you've ever heard of tabletop, that's what you've heard of. Um, but I had been gaming for 10 years before I played in my first D&D &D game. That's so cool. Ah, I love it. <laughs> Part of me was hoping that you had a rep, like a recommendation for some kind of like Afropunk, like futurist. Like <laughs> okay. There oh no, is, do you really? Oh my god. I, it, okay, so <laughs> it is a Kickstarter that I backed in the fall, and the quick start PDF is out, but the full version of the story isn't out. Are mm -hmm. you ready for this? Yes. Thirsty Sword Lesbians. I backed it too! Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> Have you played any of it yet? No, I haven't. But I, uh, some of my friends from out on like the West Coast were asking me, like, because they also were really interested in it. And I was like, I might be willing to run a game for y'all because I like have the PDF. I just haven't looked at it yet. Oh, it's so good. Um, on a, you know, on my unpaid job with super heroines, um, we've got a really small program with this mm -hmm. tight knit of cohorts in it. And, um, we're going to be running our first one shot for them. And I convinced them like, let's use my, my PDF and let's run this to convince yes. other people to like <laughs> go buy other things. Um, but I also like backed wander home, which is more of like a storytelling. It's a lot less fighting based. Um, so that that's that one. And then of course, urban shadows is the other one that I've got backed right now. Urban shadows too. I don't know if I've heard of I don't know if I know Urban Shadows. Well, I am going to be looking some stuff up <laughs> later today. I'm so excited you said Thirsty Sword Lesbians. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> so what I love about this segment is not only does Whitney have really practical advice for opening up your community to more diversity. Um, just to recap, step one, invite people like crazy to get them into your space. And then step two is uh, once they're there, uh, make sure you share diverse stories and perspectives with them. But anyway, not only does she have this really practical advice, um, but you can also just hear her passion and how excited she is about games and about sharing her love of games with other people. And really that just, that underlies uh, what we're doing when we're building communities and gaming is it's just finding new ways to connect with more people and to expand our community and have more people to talk to about things we love. Um, and yes, uh, I know you heard all those game recommendations. I will definitely drop links to all of them that she mentions in those episode notes. So check those out if you want to know more. 
Hey friends, I hope you've been getting some great stuff out of these episodes. If you like what you've heard so far, please check out our merch shop over at victormediagroup.co. Every purchase supports me personally, so I would love it if you cover your shit in my stickers. <laughs> Remember, you can nab a replay merch over at victormediagroup.co. And once again, thanks so much for joining us at the game table. So coming up in a second, we're going to hear from Vivian Grimm. She's a LARPer and a cosplayer who's helped with running LARP conventions such as BCon, Intercon, and Make a Scene. And she also dabbles in designing and writing her own LARP. So she has a ton of really good experience in the LARPing space or live action role play gaming space. Uh, and, and I've chosen this segment specifically because she gets into some of the theory behind gaming and she talks about the three types of fun. And this is just really fascinating stuff that I'd never heard before, um, before Vivian explained all of this to me. So I hope you enjoy. Uh, there's been sort of this theory going around about the, the different kinds of fun, like you mentioned. Um, so there's like type one fun which is it's enjoyable while it's happening. It's just, it's fun, right? Like you are, you are having a good time. Um, you are laughing, you are enjoying yourself. You feel like happy in the moment. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's type two fun, uh, which is where a lot of my LARP catharsis comes from. Uh, <laughs> and type two fun is like not necessarily fun while it is occurring. You might feel uh, scared, or you might feel sad, or you might be crying, or or feel like deeply, like emotionally devastated, mm -hmm. or worried, or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then, in retrospect, it is fun, um, and that is really kind of a lot of lurping. Is that like that was deeply satisfying? Like people will ask me, Vivian, did you have fun at your LARP this weekend? And I'm like. Well, my character got tortured and then betrayed by her fiance. And then, you know, I spent half the game crying, I guess. Uh, and then I had to make a huge speech that was really stressful. And then we had gladiatorial style games that were a great time. Um, and everyone hated me for that. Uh, <laughs> like, was it fun? quotation marks around fun in the moment like no i was stressed out but but it was fun after the fact like it was it was satisfying it was the experience i wanted out of that game um mm -hmm. so i feel like uh sort of knowing the distinction between those things is is really helpful to sort of talking about why we enjoy larping <laughs> it kind of reminds me of like when you watch a really emotionally involved movie afterward like I don't know Captain America <laughs> and you're like you get to the end and you're like but did you cry but did you enjoy it mm -hmm. it's like that kind of thing right yeah absolutely and like you mentioned before like your your escape room experience where there was like a serial killer yelling at you right like oh my god it, yes. it's not fun <laughs> to get yelled at by a bad guy right but it is mm -hmm. fun to experience that sort of altered state. It's fun to experience fear. It's fun to experience uh, 
dread in a situation where you are ultimately in control, right? Mm-hmm. Like you yeah. can, you're safe. You can tap out at any time. This isn't actually happening to you, but it is something that you're experiencing and exploring and exploring our reactions to things and human mm-hmm. emotions that you otherwise wouldn't is a lot of fun. It's why we like movies. It's why we like video games, right? Like it's yeah. the whole breadth of experience. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, you said there was a third type of fun. Oh yeah. Third, type, <laughs> three, type three fun is not fun. <laughs> what? <laughs> Please explain. <laughs> um, type three fun is, is not, uh, is like something that is like devastating <laughs> or like not, not particularly satisfying. Uh, it can be like when something has gone wrong. Um, and that is like not usually a thing that people are are looking for, um, but it can be interesting even if it wasn't fun. But what? Can like, you give an example? <laughs> like I've had some bad experiences at at games specifically, mm-hmm. where like a thing was upsetting and not fun, and I didn't enjoy it afterwards but it was useful to me to know or to think about or to puzzle it out afterwards. Um, okay. So that's kind of how I interpret it. Other people may have different interpretations. Interesting. <clears throat> I would not consider that a type of fun, but <laughs> there's people who do. Um, what kind of fun do you personally look for? Is it just that type two kind of fun? No, I mean, it's, it's definitely both. Like, if I went to a LARP where we were all just crying and afraid, okay, I was about to say I wouldn't like that, but I have played those and they were actually <laughs> a good time. Um, but like most most games, especially your longer games, right, like your weekend long games, there are going to be fun moments that are actually fun. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like I played Velvet Noir, which is a, a game out in... Um, Pennsylvania that's uh, 1920s uh, gangsters and stuff it's very fun um and like yeah I was playing a closeted uh bisexual Jewish gangster right named <laughs> Levi who's dealing with PTSD from fighting in the first world war and being in love with a black prostitute and all of these gracious. yeah he's had a <laughs> time um but like there were also moments where like his fellow uh you know, Jewish uh, contingency, uh, like, roped him into putting on a Purim play. And so, like, we put him in lingerie. And oh, my he, God. And, like, we did this whole performance. And there was swing dancing. And there was getting drunk and laughing. And, like, silly, stupid bits, right? Like, there is mm-hmm. actual, like, type one fun, usually, at these games as mm-hmm. well. Um but then sometimes you have to lean into that type two fun too. So like, I definitely would feel remiss if my game didn't have any type two fun in it, Mm -hmm. but both are good. 
So Vivian is talking about all this in the context of LARP, but it's widely applicable to any kind of gaming or any kind of storytelling, whether that's film, podcasting, YouTube videos, whatever you do. Um, really thinking about what you enjoy and why you enjoy it and what's the nature of that kind of enjoyment or, or what kind of fun do you really seek out can help you craft better stories and better experiences for other people. Uh, so I hope that this discussion was kind of useful for you guys thinking about fun. And because I can't resist having another fun excerpt from my interview with Vivian, um, here's another segment where she talks more about the different ways that gamers approach LARPing in terms of what kind of play they're really looking for. People game for different reasons. Like what you get out of a LARP or what you get out of a tabletop game might be pretty different. Yeah. Um, so there's been this theory batted around. I've seen it repeated by so many different people that I'm not entirely sure where it originated anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea that there are uh, dramatists who are there to play for like the narrative, right? Okay. They want to tell a story. They want there to be a good ending. They want there to be a conclusion. They want there to be character arcs and change and they they larp like they're writing a novel right or like they're yeah. like they're watching game of thrones or something <laughs> right like that's that's the goal for them that's like the ultimate larp experience yeah um then you have gamists uh gamists really like to like put together the details they like to figure out puzzles they like to take part in battles they are there for if not mechanics uh more sort of like problem solving puzzle solving uh, aspects of a game, which you can definitely get in LARPs. Yeah. Um, then there are immersionists who like to become their characters. So for them, the whole experience is playing a role, playing a character and really feeling that character's reactions and existence and things. Um, most players dabble in all three of these to different mm -hmm. extents. Um, people have before thought I was an immersionist but I know that I am a dramatist. Um, <laughs> I like narrative. So like I will sacrifice my immersion a little bit to make a better story, right? Like mm -hmm. if it is like better in that moment for my character to do something that is like maybe slightly different than my gut instinct of what they would do mm -hmm. because it's more compelling, I, I'll do that. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, whereas there are, there are some people who like, they just really want to be in the moment and they don't want to try to like break character and they don't want to, you know, uh, get out of that headspace. Um, yeah. And those are all three like valid ways to play a game and valid mm -hmm. ways to play a LARP, but it's really useful. Like, I feel like you will find yourself drawn to other people who play the way you do and who are looking for the same kind of experience mm -hmm. and try to build that experience. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that you gave words to it too, because I feel like instinctively people know that like, maybe I'm a character oriented player. And so when I play, I really like to get in the head of whatever I'm doing, mm -hmm. but they didn't have a word for that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, so I like that you lay it out like that. Cause I feel like I can relate to all three of those in mm -hmm. different genres and in different ways of playing. Um, which just tells me that it's all valid, right? Like it's all good ways to play. <laughs> right, and like, those are useful terms for like tabletop games, right? Like you yeah. can bring that into tabletop, just like you can bring uh, consent negotiations into your tabletop game. Yes. Um, 
one of my, this is an aside, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> one of my like most ang angry <laughs> tabletop gaming experiences that I ever had was there was this player I was playing with who kept trying to, he, he kept like physically removing my character from the scene, right? What? Um, because his character was like a big, strong Mandalorian and he could just like do that. And I was playing a tiny person, a tiny non-binary human. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, well, if you're gonna roll your dice to remove me from the scene, I'm gonna roll my dice to persuade you not to do that because right. I am a highly social character and you are not a highly social <laughs> character. Uh, and he was like, no, that's like, that's not fair, right? Like, yeah, you know, you can't just roll your dice and make me do something. And I was like, that's what, what? you've been doing, sir. <laughs> Hello. Like, like either we do roll our dice at each other or we don't, <laughs> like you gotta <laughs> pick one. <laughs> Oh um, and so like, that was, that was like me kind of bringing this thinking about consent mm -hmm. to my tabletop games in a way that was really meaningful. And like, after that moment, our game was a lot more copacetic. Like we, we jived a lot better because there wasn't this like weird back and forth happening. Um, yeah. Cause we kind of both talked about what we wanted and then we, you know, moved on from there. So I want to say it's good to remember that not everyone comes to the table with the same expectations for what they're going to consider fun. Um, I'm hyper aware of this myself as a tabletop role player. I know I'm incredibly character oriented and I, I love the interactions with other characters around the table. You know, I'm, I'm going to play the tiefling druid that's going to have some like catty back and forth with my stoic half elf half sister. And, and that's going to create a really cool dynamic that moves some scenes forward while I do, I don't know, dumb shit to play off of her character, right? And that's, that's what I play for. That's what I live for when it comes to, to role playing. But I have friends who play for world building, world exploration. They want to know the lore. They want the maps um, and, and all these different kinds of elements that everyone's looking for. And we all play off of each other really well because we bring something different to the table. Um, and that's, a huge part for me of what makes gaming with other people so attractive and so fun. Um, and, and I just want to reiterate the way that you enjoy playing is valid, right? All of these ways of playing are valid as long as it's not detracting from other people's ability to also have fun. So in, in Vivian's anecdote about consent and this other player that was at the table, the way it resolved was that they were ultimately able to both contribute to a game that they both enjoyed. Um, and that is the goal. Next up, we're going to hear from Oliver, who's our favorite Canadian GM. Um, he's a trans man living in the middle of nowhere, British Columbia, and we had a really good conversation about trans representation in gaming. Um, so to provide some context for this excerpt we're about to hear, um, we were talking about trans representation and Oliver makes a really good point about um, how what we think of as the trans experience is actually more universal than we realize. I think there's so much room to really showcase the trans experience without alienating cisgender people. Because you can pull so much into not feeling yourself mm -hmm. and make that a general experience. 
yeah. and to not identifying with who you were born as, that's everyone. Yeah. No one feels like like who they are. Like everyone feels like someone else at some point in their life until they change and, and adapt and, and become who they want to be. It's just transgender mm-hmm. people have that secondary hurdle of, of there being um, like surgery involved. And there's not always surgery involved. Not every transgender person gets yeah. surgery done. Not every transgender person goes on hormones. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many aspects that are shared. The transgender experience isn't just for transgender people. It's just, it's been alienated that way, I think. Yeah. I think if more people explored their gender, like just in general, even cis people explored mm-hmm. their gender, then we would have a much more accepting world because we wouldn't need to fit into those strict uh, boxes Yeah. To, to, to pass. What do you think kind of prevents people from telling those narratives the trans narratives honestly i think it's just it's new right now i mean it's not new. transgender people have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years thousands of years forever since since society has existed (laughs) we have had more than two genders don't at me Um, (laughs) is that is it still in vogue to say i i say it all the time so we'll go with it (laughs) but uh I, I honestly think at this point, we've just kind of, I don't want to say it's evangelical religion, but like we've reached this Puritan kind of point in society. Mm-hmm. We've like gone around in a circle almost. Yeah. Where we're trying to control people again, I think is what it is. I think mm-hmm. it's all about control. And if you're trying to control society, you get a little scared about showcasing such openness, right? Yeah. Like if you let people do whatever they want and explore themselves in that way, then kind of goes against the idea of controlling society to neat little boxes. Thinking about power dynamics in society and the importance that's placed on labels, right? Like this is what Ollie's um, conversation brings up for me. Um, even I'm guilty of putting out there like, here are my labels. I'm a gamer. I'm a woman. I'm queer. I'm polyamorous. I have anxiety. But um, if you're a person who's outwardly trans, right, you've told society, I disagree with the body I was born in. And it's in this really explicit way. And you really are pushing those gender boundaries um, and, you know, you know, fighting to be outside the box there. And uh, for someone whose entire position of power, control, or stability is based on this concept of two genders, yeah, you're, you're terrifying. Trans, transness is terrifying. So uh, I wanted to bring that today so in hopes that to those listeners out there who are genderqueer or who are trans, like, I want to say kudos to you for pushing back. Kudos to you for being a rebel just by being yourself. Um, you're punk as fuck. And, and to those listeners out there who aren't trans or genderqueer, I really hope this gives you a bit better understanding of what it feels like to be trans and how you might be able to relate to people who identify that way. Hey everyone, I promised you I'd tell you who won the giveaway. So without further ado, the winner of our replay merch giveaway is... 
Jacob Kruger 58. Congrats on winning the first ever replay giveaway. And thanks to everyone who entered for all of your support for my show. I'm really looking forward to many more seasons with y'all. Keep on playing. Up next, we have Missa Dawson, who's the manager of the Gaming Goat in Mason, Ohio, which is a, a, a board and card game store out in Ohio. And coming up, she's going to talk about how GMing for D&D and other role-playing games has actually taught her a very important skill, flexibility. What do you feel like you learned from that experience of GMing your first game? don't run a game for 10 people. <laughs> uh, no, it mostly worked out because not everybody was able to make every session. So I had anywhere from like three to seven people in a, in a session. Wow. Seven um, still feels like a lot. <laughs> seven impressive. is still a lot. Um, I learned flexibility. Mm. Um, I really learned flexibility because at the time, like, I'm still a very rigid person. Mm -hmm. um, like, I'm, I'm chill and relaxed and can go with the flow, but only within the boundaries of my, my set schedule and my set perceptions of the world. Um, if I have a schedule in place and something breaks that routine, like, mm -hmm. I get very flustered. Yeah. Um, so, like, I have to set expectations for myself for every day. Yeah. Um, like, this is what I've got going on tomorrow. Like, and I'll wake up and I'll do my wake up routine um, mm -hmm. and stuff. And then I'll go into whatever the day needs to be. Um, but like, for example, if today you had suddenly had to cancel this recording session on me. Yeah. Like, that would have thrown me off for the whole day. I'd be like, well, what am I supposed to do now? Oh, no. <laughs> um. And so I just, uh, I learned a lot of flexibility mm -hmm. in dealing with that group. Um, I learned the best skill you can as a DM, which is don't plan anything. <laughs> I went from literally, I would write out whole conversations that I, I expected the players to have with this NPC uh-huh to i literally if i'm planning a dm session i don't read anything i don't plan anything i don't do anything um <laughs> like if i'm running a module i'll loosely read the module mm -hmm. so that i kind of understand what's supposed to happen yeah but i don't expect it to happen because <laughs> the players are going to take the story where they're going to take the story and you're along for the ride right <laughs> exactly um, but that's huge for me. Yeah. The fact that I don't plan when I GM, like, that's huge. Mm -hmm. I plan everything. I plan every aspect of my life. I plan every aspect of the lives of the people around me. So what is it about uh, GMing that makes you feel okay to not have to plan everything out? I really don't know. Like, I enter into an entirely different mode when I'm GMing. Like, I think a lot of it comes down to that communal storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, 
and kind of into the fact that like I myself am not just not a very creative person mm-hmm. um my thought process is very linear okay and stuff so I really have learned to feed off of the players interesting so they'll be sitting and talking amongst themselves and I'm sitting back and just listening and stuff and they'll like mention something I'll be like hey that would be a great idea to throw at them (laughs) so you take their ideas and throw it right back in their face and they're like you asked for this (laughs) yes and stuff or even if it's just like they say like one word and I'm like that word is like this whole idea is just now suddenly in my head and I can now do this and stuff like I I've learned like it's that communal storytelling Mm -hmm. coming back into play and I've learned to take that Mm -hmm. and take that energy that you have with people at the table and let that be the catalyst for how I run things. What I love about this story that she tells is that that Miss has been able to practice the skill of flexibility in a safe space. And, and she's even recognizing here that it's still difficult for her to be flexible outside of gaming spaces. Um, but that's something that she continues to work on. And for me, that's really inspirational. Um, again, it's, it's a way that gaming can help us explore things that put us outside of our comfort zone. Uh, you know, GMing is intimidating. It can be really hard. There's, there's a lot of reasons why I haven't yet GMed my own game. Um, But the challenge and reflection on that challenge can be such a valuable learning tool. So I I hope that helps you understand just another way that gaming can be really valuable for personal growth. All right, and our final guest who's, quote, coming back today is Jasmine Betts. Jasmine Betts is the Associate Manager of Consumer and Market Insights at Wizards of the Coast. Um, and, and we talked in her episode about intersectional identities in gaming. And one piece of her identity that we didn't really get to just because of time is about being neurodivergent, um, being on the spectrum. So in this segment, she's about to talk about how gaming is helpful to neurodivergent gamers as a tool for learning social skills. And she also suggests some reasons that people with autism might be strongly attracted to gaming as a hobby. So another piece of your identities that you did mention at the beginning um, was that you're on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are about uh, tabletop RPGs as a person who's on the spectrum. Yeah, so I actually um, have a pretty fun uh, history in terms of like my, my knowledge of, of autism. My brother was uh, diagnosed very, very early. Um, I and my sister were not at all um, <laughs> somehow. Uh, so we caught it kind of early for my brother and that really changed a lot of like my life in terms of, of what I wanted to understand and what I wanted to learn about my brother. It was a big reason why I picked my, my major in, in college. I, I majored in psychology, specifically in, in behavioral neuroscience. Oh. Um, yeah, so I, I did a lot of actual like research to the best of my capacity as like an undergrad on autism, doing lots of re- like reports and, and doing lots of essays when I would get the chance. Oh, so it's cool. fun because I have like this this side of it where it's like my actual semantic knowledge of like autism as a diagnosis and how it's treated. And then like actually retroactively being like, oh, 
I am also an autistic person. That makes <laughs> a lot of sense why I would fixate on this in general because we fixate and it also <laughs> because I was like, I probably saw myself and I, I would routinely see myself in a lot of my work. Um, yeah. And so I think it's really cool to have this perspective um, of it, the, of, of autism in general. And I think it's just TT, like, like tabletop RPGs are just such a cool tool in what they are and what they can do for, for people on the spectrum, on various parts of the spectrum. And I think maybe a lot of people um, who are on the spectrum and play currently can, can see this and why they're, they're into, you know, tabletop is just that it's sort of this playground where you can practice like social etiquette and social skills yeah. and like learn empathy. And I think that there's, there's a lot of talk right now in, in by various professionals in like the psychology community um, mm -hmm. for like self-advocating autistic people themselves mm -hmm. um, of, of how cool, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and other tabletop RPGs can be um, as a sort of form of therapy and also as a way to socialize and meet other people because um, yeah. you could have, you know, mixed groups of kids on the spectrum, of kids who aren't on the spectrum interacting with kids who, you know, are neurotypical. Um, and mm -hmm. it's just such an interesting tool that way, you know, that it, yeah. it, it's this place that lets you become someone else. So inherently you're learning empathy of like, well, if I'm my character, how am I acting? How, how would this person do things? Yeah. How do they feel? Um, having to collaborate with other people, having this sort of low risk space to really like learn social skills that you don't normally have available to you in real life is super powerful. And for me, obviously, I, I care a lot. I'm on the spectrum. I work for Wizards <laughs> of the Coast. I think it's a dope idea. Um, yeah. But lots of other people are exploring that now, too. And I just think it's super cool that it kind of took that turn. Yeah. Did you ever feel, um, I guess if you, you weren't diagnosed until, or self-diagnosed, whatever, yeah, until okay. <laughs> later, if you didn't, if you didn't realize until later in life, yeah. um, cause I was going to ask you, did you feel like you were treated differently, but if you didn't know. Yeah. I mean, I've always kind of known, frankly, like <laughs> I knew something was amiss at a certain point, but I didn't really know what it was. Um, and I, I definitely feel like kind of in hindsight, a lot of my interests and the things that I was attracted to were probably because of that like I was very introverted and read a lot and I mm -hmm. really fixated on like Lord of the Rings because there's just so much stuff for my brain to munch on which is something yeah. that's very appealing for people on the spectrum is just mm -hmm. hyper fixating on something and like really learning all the nitty-gritty details and there's just so much detail you know yeah um and just tabletop RPG in general is I think kind of has a dual purpose and kind of the gaming community in general probably attracts a lot of people on the spectrum for this reason too is just that you have this vehicle for both escapism, solo escapism, mm -hmm. um, in sort of video games especially, but also, you know, escapism as a, as a group activity, you know, and yeah. this sort of like low effort space where I can pretend to be someone else, where, you know, I can put on this performance and like really learn and do things that I normally wouldn't do and see what would happen. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that's a, an experience that's really, really appealing to people wherever they might be on the spectrum, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but it also has sort of that other side where, you know, nerds have sort of this inherent association with like the ostracized. You're like a nerd and you're attracted yeah. to like certain things if you are, are marginalized in any way, you know, as a person yeah. of color or a woman or being, you know, queer or neurodivergent is definitely a, a group that I think is attracted to that. Yeah. And it gives you this way to connect with a community that's a lot like you, that is inherently a little bit more open to 
the weird and the the, the unconventional. Um, and I think that it can be really good for sort of like that soft skill as well, or that soft sort of benefit, I would say, of, of giving kids away and this access point into, you know, a safer version of a community that is more accepting, generally, yeah. of, of people who are aberrant in some way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think from my experience, you, you rarely see, um, you really rarely see like bad things come to the table in the sense of like things that people are trying to explore and stuff like that. Like, yeah, you, totally. You, and you see, and you honestly, you rarely see neurodivergent traits coming out in any kind of negative light or anything like that because, totally. and, and you might have characters that exhibit those traits and people accept it and they roll with it and they say this is this is the character this is what we're doing and yeah um and it's it's really positive and it's yeah. not coded as anything like i don't know anything like weird. abnormal yeah. or like it's just like no we're all weird and it's okay for all of us to be weird in our own special weird ways yeah it's just you kind of for me i think that that was something that I really needed I feel like in my life in general it's always been easier for me to like connect with nerds like it took me super super long at jobs where I didn't have that guarantee where like if I worked with a lot of other nerds I felt like I could come out of my shell a lot faster because there was just like yeah. a natural vernacular that everybody kind of knows because you're like an internet nerd that probably knows a lot of memes and like yeah. that helps you know it, it it really breaks that ice a lot sooner with people um and I feel like that's something that I think a lot of autistic people in general kind of resonate with is like, how do I have a way, like, what is something I could have that can help me connect with people in a really effective way? And I feel like being a nerd in a lot of ways has done that. Is there, there's sort of like a natural vernacular that we have mm -hmm. um, in general, you're just more open to things that are different. Um, and I think that's, that's why it's so disappointing when you see nerd communities that are like super not open or are really, yeah. you know, closed off is like, I just don't see how they could not see the po the potential that I see in, in the gaming community to be this like super open, right. super interesting, super, you know, weird space, a genuine, fun, weird space for people yeah. to be. So I, I think that that's just a really powerful thing that you could give to other neurodivergent people. And I think that that's how we've inadvertently ended up kind of disproportionately in these spaces. Yeah, I love that. Well, as thanks. we, uh, <laughs> you're like, thanks, I know. Thanks, I tried very hard. <laughs> um, I really appreciate you sharing that. And yeah. I, think, I think this was a really powerful conversation um, that I think the world is ready to hear. So we are going to make awesome. them hear it. You've heard at least two of my guests this season talk about being a gamer with autism, but I still don't think it gets talked about enough. Um, and for me, what Jasmine said here really reinforces the fact that there are incredible opportunities for personal learning and growth through just playing a freaking game. So I hope this really goes to show that gaming isn't just a hobby, right? Like gaming influences all these other elements of your life and can be a significant tool for personal growth, for connecting with other people, for different kinds of therapy, for teaching concepts like, like about social issues. Um, and of course, at the end of the day, gaming is still fun. That's the goal. Thanks for listening. I'll be back again soon with another episode. You can find episodes of Replay and all other Victor Media Group podcasts at victormediagroup.co. Replay is a VMG original and is created, hosted, and produced by Clara Mount. 
The show is executive produced by J.B. Adams and Gerard Mitchell with sound design by Gerardo Abril and original music by Bison. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. If you like this show, follow Victor Media Group on your favorite media channels and check out Bison's other tunes on Spotify, Bandcamp, and SoundCloud. Extra special thanks to all my listeners for hanging out with us today. Keep on playing and remember, you're always welcome at this game table.